It's the Cavaliers Basketball Club Podcast. And basketball time to go. Love picks up Curry. The shoot-around. Welcome back to the club. Colin and I are definitely excited to talk about the Cavs this week as they have rattled off five wins in a row and currently sit second in the East. This is awesome. I mean, they're doing this with a huge offensive output by Donovan Mitchell and overall, a very timely defense. This is also true, Adam, and the numbers are bearing that out, with the team currently sitting sixth in offensive rating and second in defensive rating. Oh, and they are doing this without their all-star starting point guard in Darius Garland. This has been an impressive stretch, to say the least. Speaking of impressive numbers, our podcast is growing, so please make sure you rate and follow us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and all other platforms. And please make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. In every home game this season, we have heard chants of MVP for Donovan Mitchell. Is this hometown bias, or should he be in the early discussion for MVP? I know my thoughts. How about you? Well, my initial thoughts are definitely yes. Mitchell's numbers have been incredible. He's also been the catalyst for this offense, which we'll get into more. But right now, he's shooting better than Steph Curry. He's averaging more assists than Curry as well. And I know that he's already been in the early MVP discussions. So my answer in short would be definitely. To the regular season so far, he is averaging 32.2 points. He's shooting 49.3% on 45.5% from three. He has 4.5 rebounds on average and 7.3 assists, which is something that we talked about when we got him in the trade. How would he shoot from three? And could he raise those assist numbers? And through the first six games, it seems like that's a priority of his this year. We talked about how this team has so many options to shoot the ball. On any given night, you could have a third or fourth guy go off for 20 or 30 points. And Mitchell is going to be a beneficiary of that. He's going to be able to pass the ball around and get more assists simply because there are so many options on this team. Through the first six games, this is truly a historic beginning to being a Cavalier. And I think it's going to mm. quickly make us go, LeBron who? You know? And obviously not mm. <laughs> not for real. But right. just in the sense of, of really being able to move on as a franchise and hang your hat on another talent, on a guy that you can say, yeah, but we've also had Mitchell. That's what he's showing through these first six games. And it's exciting to be watching it every night. Definitely. It's been... Something that I don't think I was expecting. The numbers aren't just slightly better than what his career numbers have been. They are almost double in some of those statistics. I mean, he's almost averaging double the amount of assists that he's had throughout his career on average, which is just incredible. 
And I do know I caught an interview with him recently. I shared the link with you that he was talking about how he wasn't really fully healthy last year. Mm -hmm. He went to the organization in Utah and said, hey, I'd like to run this thing back. I'd like to have another shot at it. I think that, you know, all of us healthy and with the right mission statement, I think we could really do something here. And of course, it blew up and we benefited from that, just like we benefited from the Allen trade. So it's, it's really an amazing thing to see such great talent come to this team through the draft and through trades over the last couple of years. So this is just one of the fastest turnarounds I can think of in the time I've been watching the game. Yeah, that was on the uh, J.J. Reddick podcast. Probably a cousin. I'm not going to dispute it. So, What is the biggest reason the Cavs have won five games in a row? So, Adam, last week I kind of opened up my discussion about doing a positive and a negative. This week I'm just going to stay positive. Donovan Mitchell has just been an insane catalyst, even when his numbers aren't incredible like they were with the Magic. You still had him having a high assist total in that game. Mobley was the leading scorer with 20, and Allen added another 18. But in that Magic game... The threat of Mitchell allowed Mobley and Allen to get a little more space in the paint and utilize that front court that we have. Then against the Celtics, Mitchell was incredible, obviously, but Levert. For Levert to have 41 points in the garden in so many clutch ways, especially in the second half with some of those three-pointers, was just incredible. And lastly... Against the Knicks, Mitchell was insane, but then you add in 29 points from the bench by Kevin Love. Love alone outscored the Knicks in the fourth quarter. So the team is playing extremely well, running off of Mitchell's actions and him playing point guard, but a lot of it is just other players stepping up. They know what Donovan's going to do, but this team is so talented. It's so deep. You've talked about it repeatedly on this podcast, Adam. You could go six, seven, eight deep with the amount of talent with a guy being either the leading scorer or the second leading scorer to complement the team. They know what they're going to get out of their superstar in Mitchell, and then everybody's feeding off of that with stepping up with the game plan. I've never been this secure in the types of wins the Cavs have had since LeBron left. It just seems like they're always in it. Yeah, it does seem like they're always in it, even when it seems like they're about to be out of it. That's always the most frustrating thing about today's modern NBA game anyway. Because of how consistent every team now shoots the three, you've got 15-point leads evaporating in two minutes. Less than that. Mm -hmm. So... Leads don't matter much anymore, and, and that, on the one hand, that isn't great because you never feel like you have anything that's comfortable in the NBA. But, on the other hand, when you have a 15-20 point deficit uh, going into the fourth quarter, you actually have a chance to win those games in today's NBA. What we could not know from not having a lot of time to see Donovan Mitchell's game is that this guy is just a winner, right? He just knows how to win, mm. and he can make his team around him somehow pull it together. Even in a game like the Magic game when he was shooting very poorly, 
he still found a way to facilitate eight assists and get the team moving the ball and scoring when they needed to. I see a field general. I see a guy that understands the game at a high level, maybe even at like a 10, 12-year veteran kind of level. He's confident on the court. He's strong. Whenever I see someone that reminds me of Jordan's overall game, I have to point it out. And Donovan Mitchell, over the last five games, except for the Magic game, has been Jordan-esque. He's putting up the type of numbers that I witnessed through those three years that Jordan won three rings. And he's turning a Cavs team from a team that was predominantly an inside-out team now to an outside-in team where they're shooting threes more than shooting anything else, but we're consistently up in the mid-40% range most of these games from three. And if we do that, we're going to be a playoff contender. We're going to possibly go to the finals playing like that. And again, we're going to be excited today. We're going to be talking about all these things and acting like you know it's the end of the year and we've got these stats still. But that's the excitement of what's possible, that this team is 75% healthy and yet we're already moving from the top 10 into the top four power ranking position, right? Which we'll talk about in a little bit. We're seeing such amazing strides just over the first six games. And what a difference between last year's first six and this year's first six. And last year's first six were pretty good, right? We were in the top eight defensively. We were on the West Coast, you know, on a tough road trip. And we were proving to the league that we should be taken seriously. But this team is proving to the league that we are one of the best. And uh, Kendrick Perkins has to be pretty happy right about now. What else did you see? I know for me, the Magic game was a little underwhelming. I thought we saw some discrepancies, or, or not discrepancies, I thought we, found, we saw some issues with our roster, some positioning issues, matchup issues that could be a problem moving forward. Almost every game that we've won, we really should have lost it, especially the Celtics game. Statistically, we, we should have lost that game. We had 18 assists to their 28. The Celtics had 54 points in the paint, which was six more than we had. But they committed four more turnovers than we did. And overall, it was our three-point percentage that got us the win. It was 45.7% from three. So th there's just a lot here. Th let me kick it back to you for now. With that Celtics game, it was definitely a rare game where you had so many numbers that were in Boston's favor. But at the same time, the biggest thing that was in the Cavs' favor, too, was the fourth quarter, the Celtics only put up 15 points. Their superstars on the Boston team, they just weren't able to perform. That happened against the Knicks as well. The Knicks only put up 15 the Magic put up 23, but we were able to put up 30 in that game in the fourth quarter. So in the fourth quarter, it seems like the Cavs' instructions, the way that they're gelling defensively, really clicks. They're able to switch in the right ways. They're able to dictate play defensively, and they're turning that on, which... I feel like last year, you and I were not surprised by how good their defense was, but we were surprised at how reliable it was, where this year, I think it's just as reliable, but it's almost scarier because it is like they literally turn a switch on and they're like, we're done. We're done playing what you thought was a basketball game. This is our game, which is 
also something that we see from higher end teams where all of a sudden when they become defensively engaged you can just see it on the faces of the, of the opponent they realize they've been playing at a jb level <laughs> the entire game and being toyed with they're so locked in on that end of the ball that it's just turning a switch for them and that's definitely rare for for such a young squad defensively i think there was the question of would we fall off because of the few pieces that we had to trade to get Mitchell and would Mitchell be able to step up and be a better defender was his situation in Utah the reason why his defensive numbers were less than stellar or was it because of him and some deficiency in his game and so far I don't see it I mean when he's on the court I don't really see a problem I think he's rotating well. He's gotten some good steals. He's doing everything that I would expect. And really, some of the more glaring things that I, I thought we would have defensively, you know, they, they have nothing to do with Mitchell. He really has improved our team in all phases. His ability to rally the guys around him and instill the right confidence with the, the group that you can tell that everybody on this team feels like if their number is called, they're going to step up and and get the shot or get the rebound or make the steal or whatever it is. They, they have a lot of tenacity and will for only the first six games of the year. And if they can keep that up and take the momentum of getting these last-minute wins, these OT wins and everything, if they can take all of that all the way through the year into the playoffs, they're just going to have all of this to lean on and feel more and more confident that this is a team of destiny. The last thing I'll add is uh, Jalen Rose talked about it on his show. This Cavs team fits everything about Mitchell and who he is as a player more than Mitchell played with in Utah. And it's what you're discussing. It's what you're saying, which is, you know, you have Dean Wade, you have Love, you have Okoro, Allen, and Mobley, who when they get the ball, they want to do their best by Mitchell and when Garland gets on the floor it'll be a similar mindset where he didn't really have that in Utah he had a lot of good players and they probably wanted to do the same except our floor is so much higher every player on the Cavs they're so young and their talent level is so high that the sky is the limit in so many ways Warriors of the East I keep saying it and it's probably nothing that Cavs fans want to hear because you have to say Warriors. But I think that that's the <laughs> promise of, of what this team could be. That we are so deep and so young and so talented. You could see us being this kind of team for five, six years to come. I mean, obviously not everybody signed for that long, but it's really incredible. In the three most recent wins, the players have credited JB with calling them out and challenging them to play better to finish out the game. Is Bickerstaff the real reason why we're 5-1? and one? Well, we have an episode called Bickerstaff and Altman. I would have everybody go and check it out. We have been saying, I think, from the beginning that Altman has always been probably the biggest reason why this Cavaliers team has had the turnaround that they've had. We've got to credit Altman... 100%. But he found his coach in J.B. Bickerstaff. The minute he chose J.B. to take over this team, I think you and I breathed a big sigh of relief. We could see that 
this guy was the right man for the job. Especially in today's NBA, you need a person who can really speak the player's language. Former players are ideal. Bickerstaff, he's meant to be an NBA head coach. I just, I'm so enamored with him and the coaching staff that he's built over the last few years. So yes, my immediate answer would be the real reason why we are having the success we're having, why we are 5-1, and one, why we have rallied in two of those games in OT and won those games and had several fourth quarter comeback wins. It's this coaching staff. It's the culture that they've created here in Cleveland. That no quit culture. That next man up culture. That idea that for the love of the game, we're going to make it about the game. And we're going to come in here every day and we're going to learn to play with each other. And we're going to appreciate that. I haven't witnessed a team enjoy playing with each other this much in a long time. Even in the years when LeBron had teams where they all had fun. Yeah, it's because they were a superstar team and they were built for that purpose. So, of course, pile around, have a good time. But these guys are all young, out of college, out of high school coming together they just have no ego in the game and if they do you barely see that it's there and we credit so much of why the bulls and the lakers through the years were able to be cohesive and keep the egos in check that the teams had kind of the right culture the right mentality to win we gave a lot of that credit to phil jackson I think you just don't hear much anymore how coaches keep that consistency for the players and make it more possible for these games to have better outcomes simply from the work that they put in and then the way they're able to rally the troops when they need to. Bickerstaff, to me, is that type of coach where he's got the shoulder and the ear of every player on this team. And when he speaks, they listen. When Papa Bear is upset, they're upset too. I know you're going to speak to that. It's pretty amazing to me that he can get upset or even just have a look in a certain way. And these guys are right there to do what he asks. Again, he's created the perfect culture of winning. I think that he and Altman have worked so well together. I know that you and I were very much relieved when John Beeline was no longer the coach of this team. And I think all the players were as well. And JB was brought here to help Beeline out. And he really got the job because he was more qualified, but also because he had a rapport with the players. Most notably, he had a rapport with the player, Kevin Love, because he had worked with him in Minnesota and they got along really well. And Love has had his ups and downs, but... The success that Love had last year and the success he's having this year, I think is because of the communication that JB has with his players. He is able to communicate so well the expectations of what it means to be a Cleveland Cavalier. And all of those guys understand that if they're not playing in the fourth quarter for some reason, it's not a personal slight. He goes with the hot hand. During this stretch, we talked about it earlier, Mobley was the highest scorer against the Magic. Lavert and Mitchell were super successful against the Celtics. And then with the Knicks, you had, as I just mentioned, Love, 
scoring 29 off the bench. Those are all the players having that success. But if you don't have a head coach who is clearly communicating what the expectations are of each possession, of each quarter, each half, it doesn't work. It's just all individuals going out there. And I think that he is a leader that understands how he needs to lead, especially with this team. And that's such a rare thing to have in a coach because they tend to try to dictate everything in the sense of my way or the highway. And I think that JB is just, he is probably stern, but he lets you know why he's stern in certain circumstances and then will transition. And, and like what you said, he, he bends the ear and talks to the guys when he needs to. You all can tell Adam and I are very pleased with everything that JB has done throughout his tenure. Just the fact that they had the turnaround that they had last year, you know, the 20-plus game turnaround from the season before. And I know you and I have really believed in this team since he's taken over the reins and feel that they should have been a better team even three years ago. He's had to come up with different lineups, nine in, nine out, worked with the bottom of the bench at times because every single starter was out with injury. He's had a whole host of people traded and moved around over the last few years. And he's even had some turmoil in the locker room in Kevin Porter Jr. Whether or not they could kind of keep the, uh, the dynamic, the team chemistry together or not after that situation. From the beginning, as I said, we've been excited about him and just these last three games especially. And really, the, the six games overall, but these last three because that's what we were covering today. Just the patience that he has on the sideline to not choke the refs out. I mean, it's, it's insane, <laughs> the calls that he has to stand there and witness night in and night out. It's like watching his players get murdered in front of him, and there's nothing he can do about it. Mm. I mean, he's already had a player about have an eye gouged out and blood all over the floor from that. He's seen players get knocked down on the ground and no calls. I'm just surprised he doesn't have a technical every game so far this year. The final seconds. Do you think Okora will become more comfortable once Darius Garland comes back? Well, I'm hoping so. I think it's uh, it's a real rough start to the season for Okoro. I'd say that's the... Uh, there's a lot of bright spots that we've been covering. There's a lot of things that we're excited about and looking forward to. But uh, I'm still looking forward to Isaac Okoro starting the year. He's not coming out of the gate the way I think we expected or, the, fr frankly, the way that the Cavs organization expected. The Cleveland.com piece that was floated, the 15-some-page article about his shot and how they've been working on that. I said it uh, last episode. I'll say it again. He doesn't look confident out there. And the numbers show it, 1.7 points per game on 22.2% from the field, 0% from three for the regular season. Hasn't made one. He's got to get it going. And right now, part of it is the minutes. He's not getting the minutes because Jetty is playing lights out. And just the rotation now doesn't have a spot for him. So certainly when Garland comes back and if Jetty starts to come back down to earth a little bit. Okoro's going to be getting more looks throughout the year, different times, and he has to figure out a way to step up and make the most of those because, as I said earlier, he's got the entire year to figure this out. 
But at the end of this year, if he doesn't have it figured out, I think the Cavs are going to have to start thinking about what else he might be. Because if he's if his shot cannot stabilize in that amount of time from three years of them working on it and a whole season uh, with this amount of talent around him and a lot of open looks he, he should be getting, then it'll be time to consider other options. The Cavs are already in the top five power rankings through the first week of games, jumping from number 10 to number four. Still, people are worried about our wing situation. Do you think this team is good as is, or do we need to go after another piece to stay in the top five? I think this team is fine where it is. I don't think that we need to go after a wing that we would potentially mess up the chemistry. We've talked about Okoro in the past. He is probably not going to be a starting wing for this team in the immediate future in the next 10 to 15 games. But I think that Lavert has proven a lot. He looked phenomenal against Boston. And I think that Wade has shown a really good capacity to play well with the rest of the starters on this team. Wade seems to just feel comfortable with playing in the starting role or coming off the bench. So right now, my idea for the three would be Levert until otherwise proven in another way <laughs> uh, or with, go with Wade because Wade seems to be more comfortable and hopefully Isaac does get comfortable at some point but the two other guys for sure could be starting wings for this team in my mind. Thank you for listening to the Cavaliers Basketball Club Podcast. Let's go Cavs!